Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Wednesday, November 4th. It's election week, so give us liberty or give us death. Well, that, quality. That sounded good when I was writing it out, but you know, that's that's a pun. You know, playing Virginia Tech's playing Liberty. Uh, a matchup actually against the 25th ranked Liberty Flames looms. What to expect as we dive into that matchup? We look back at the Hokies' up and down performance. Big win against Louisville. Uh, we jump around the ACC, recapping Week Eight. We look ahead to Week Nine. We do some lines, but before all that, Tim, what is going on? Well, Justin, I certainly have a burning desire to talk about that game. However, I only have one question for you. Do you hear that? No. Uh -uh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh-uh. That's beautiful. Justin, why would I be playing Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison? I don't know. Well, I have an answer for you. Tonight, we have Wednesday night football with a full slate of Mac action for the first time in 2020. Great. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, who's playing? Well, (laughs) I'm glad you asked. We've got a total, a full slate. Like I've said, we've got Western Michigan versus Akron. Eastern Michigan versus Kent State, the Fighting Frank Soliches of Ohio versus Central Michigan, which is probably the best game. That'll be on at 7, uh, and you can catch that on all those ESPN networks. I think that one is on, actually, the mainline ESPN. It won't even be hidden on ESPN3. We'll have Ball State, Miami of Ohio, Buffalo, Northern Illinois, and Bowling Green in Toledo. You want your zip? I got your zip. You want your rockets? I got your rockets. Now, I know you're hyped up. And I I only have one question for you now. Can you handle the excitement? I can't. I can't, to be honest. Honestly, I didn't even know. I thought the Mac canceled. I thought they were done. Well, so did I. I thought the Pac-12 canceled. And they're starting this weekend. The Mac has fired off. So, hey, you know, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad we have more football. That's great. Uh, Okay, before we move on, because I know you want to shove the Mac under the rug here, and I'm not going to allow it to happen. Who's your favorite... Mac player in history. Ooh, wow, that's that's a tough one. Um, Old laundry list you got to go through there. I, you know, I I just tend to think of quarterbacks when I think of the Mac. You know, you've got Big Ben, you've got um, Chad Pennington, Byron Leftwich, um, Bruce Gurkowski. Um, so I'm gonna mm. go. I'm gonna go Bruce. I'm gonna go Bruce. I just I love this look. Yeah, shaved head. The you Polish know, the cannon, pants. man. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love that. I mean, the Rust Belt Darlings across the MAC, one of my favorite football conferences. I feel like Ohio as a state is just an interconnected web of MAC football rivalries. Um, but I think I'm going to go out of the state because, you know, Northern Illinois, I think, has a really great tradition, or at least they did for maybe 10 to 15 years of just putting out really good running backs and into the NFL. I think around 2006, 2007, they had probably my favorite of the bunch. And and that would be Garrett Wolf. He was like yeah. a little five seven scat oh, yeah. back. Do you remember him? I remember Garrett Wolf. Yeah. So that that's definitely my favorite Mac player. But you know, I could go on wax poetically about the Mac forever because they are one of the few football conferences, including the Fun Belt, that gives us these weird Wednesday night, Tuesday night at times football matchups, which I will always take 
on a day like Tuesday or Wednesday. So, so all super those excited. games you rattled off, those are all Wednesday night, huh? Yeah, it, dude, it's kickoff day in the MAC. I mean, wow. this is like so uh, is that, that going to be in every week? They just play on. This Wednesdays? is like Passover in Ohio. I mean, it's a okay. huge deal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so. no, that's good. I think probably the greatest MAC player of all time we didn't name, uh, Randy Moss. But uh, ooh, yeah, you know, just little, little. Uh, Wait, how did we radar. miss that? You know what it is? I think my mind has stopped connecting Marshall, Marshall with the, the Mac. Mac. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. That's what it is. Yeah, because they're not in the. Because I was almost going to say Byron Leftwich, and I said, "Oh wait, he's Conference USA." Not so fast, my friend. Nope. Um, he was, he was Mac. Mac. He was an old school Mac. I remember when Byron Leftwich got drafted. Um, I can't remember. I think it was the Vikings missed their pick. It was the Vikings or the Steelers missed their pick, and Jacksonville ran up to the podium and selected Leftwich. You remember that? Ugh. That was. A I, long time I don't ago. remember the pick itself. I just remember the hype. You know, especially after that game where he, I guess he sprained his ankle and he was being carried up the field by his offensive lineman and just slinging the rock left and right. Oh, yeah. No. That was awesome. Byron Leftwich had an absolute cannon. And if he had gone to Minnesota, maybe he would have been the next coming of Dante Culpepper. Yeah, maybe. I I think Culpepper was, uh, that was, I can't remember. We're dating ourselves here because Leftwich got drafted a long time ago. Um, yeah, he did. He did. And that might have been when Culpepper and Breeze were trying to duh, be free agents, and the the Dolphins selected Culpepper over Drew Breeze. How that would have changed history. But uh, yikes! Wow, we are really in the way back machine here. But <laughs> let's um, Tim, before before we get started, how's how's everything? Uh, how's everything else going for you? You doing okay? Yeah, ish. I mean, you know, election week has yeah. brought wonderful happiness to my timeline and uh, positive thoughts abound but the good news is i've been on a sugar high for like five straight days oh man um a lot of trunk or treating in the hearth house which means you know bags of candy just coming in by the droves yeah um so i've basically had peanut m&ms in my mouth 24 7 yeah the the halloween candy bag is uh that's gotta go it, it can't be around it's any bad. longer it, it's it, it's, it's bad. bad for me in my household too because it's also my daughter's birthday on Halloween, and yes, so you is. mix in cake and candy, and then it looms for like two weeks, and next thing you know, you've gained fifty seven pounds. Oof! It's a and horrible feeling. I mean, candy, candy after the age of thirty, you can feel yourself putting on weight as you eat it, and that, look, that's not much of a deterrent, clearly, because I don't stop, but. Um, yeah, it, it needs to get out of here, and it's one of those things where it needs to happen sooner rather than later, um, because I'm absolutely tearing it a new one. Um, and yeah, I was very happy to see the pictures, um, you know, of the birthday cake especially. I think Daniel Tiger's a good touch, man. That is a positive show for children. It is. It is. It teaches a lot of life lessons. Um, you know, it's just not mindless animation. Um, right. But yeah, you know, you mentioned election week. Uh, you know, this is always the time of year I, I stay pretty much off of Twitter. Um, Good for you. Intentionally. And that's kind of where I was going to go as we kicked off into the Virginia Tech-Louisville game. So I pretty much recorded this game and I watched it at different times throughout the day. And um, it's hard because I'm trying not to look at my phone at all. Because basically, if I look at my phone, I am going to see something that... I don't want to see as it relates to the game. So I was able to watch 
the first half on maybe like a 35, 40 minute delay. And then I didn't watch right. the second half until eight, eight, nine o'clock at night. I don't even remember. Um, so I didn't look at my phone pretty much the entire day. And uh, it's a different experience not tweeting and watching. And I'll, I'll have to be honest, it was pretty nice. I've got, I've, you know, I'm not going to lie, you know, just focusing on the game and being able to fast forward through commercials. Uh, yeah, it was it was something. It was something. Yeah. I um, Heavy is the head that wears the crown because I had to step in your uh, – Twitter shoes, you know, normally tweets that come out of that account are like 95% you and 5% me. Um, you know, I had to be on live tweet mode that entire game. And, and let me tell you, that's uh that's a sport in and of itself. So yeah, it's a lot of uh, thumb action, you know, it is. Yeah. A lot if of I were a Madden rating, I'd probably be 99. Yeah. But like I could feel the carpal tunnel prone. setting in for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Virginia tech 42 Louisville 35, you know, this game really reminded me a lot of the Miami game last year where the Hokies had a big lead and they let Miami back in, but they were able to hold on at the end. And it didn't really get as exciting as that because the game was never tied up. Um, but, you know, what I what I did like, Tim, was the team looked energized. It looked focused, ready to go early on, uh, which was great to see after the performance against Wake, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and so, you know, Louisville came into this game missing uh, a good number of defensive linemen. I think the total was six, three of which were starters. Uh, Tech had pretty good success running the football once again, 283 yards on the ground. Herbert got his fifth 100-yard game in six tries. And... Uh, you know, this offense looked pretty good. I mean, Hendon Hooker, really nice rebound game, which I think we all anticipated he, he would. We weren't expecting that, you know, that weight game no. was going to be something that continuously happened throughout the season. Um, and I thought the defense looked good at times as well. Um, and it also looked really bad at other times. But um, just like the Miami game last year, you let Louisville back into the game, but at least they found a way to win. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, found a way to win. The team did what they needed to do. They took care of business. That's not always easy to do in a road game, um, even though you know the the atmosphere itself is quite different nowadays. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think you you said it well um, in regards to kind of applying it to last year's Louisville game, where we left the door cracked. A lot of that had to do with you know a play, and which I'm sure we'll get into, but was one of the worst plays in college football history um, from a defense that I've, I've, I've maybe ever seen. Yeah. Um, but luckily, the game Pretty didn't bad. come down to to one single play, um, you know. And, and Tenen Hooker shows again why he's QB one. That guy is uh, Tenen Hooker is a good quarterback, and you know it was a shame to see him have such an uncharacteristic game, um, you know, the week before. But I think you know one of the things his staff just proves time and time again, and what these players prove time and time again is that they can take a punch in the mouth and come back the next week uh, and and play great football which is, you know, hats off to them. So let's start with the defense first. You know, Tech, Tech was up 21 nothing in this game. It looks like they were going to go into half with a 21-7 lead. And then Hawkins rips off a 90-yard touchdown uh, as time expired. Pretty much untouched. I think he was untouched. I don't think he was touched. Yeah, so virtually, yeah. Watching the clip, you see both linebackers basically go straight to the wrong hole. Right. Breeze is right by them. And then you see 
two or three guys in the secondary take pretty horrific angles on the ball carrier. <laughs> you and, can say that. I mean, it just it can't happen. No. Okay. Um, it, it really can't. I mean, it's one of those, the only way, the only focus you have on that play is stopping a touchdown. And I thought it was interesting. We were not in any sort of prevent on that play, which is, I hate the prevent. I hate it. It's it's the worst defense in the world. Um, however, this was the one occasion where if you're going to run Boston prevent, 2007. you do it, right? However, um, you know, in a, typically in a prevent, you'll see a cover three, cover four over top with safeties 30 to 40 yards off the ball. Um, especially in that scenario where they just need to keep the play in front of them. You know, I, I don't care if they run 50 yards back from the line of scrimmage. In that case, however, they didn't. The safeties were maybe slightly deeper when they would, than they would have been on a normal play, but they were nowhere near prevent depth. And I just thought that was really, really weird considering the awareness. And I'm sure that's probably just Jay Ham learning on the job. Um, you know, maybe it was a little hectic there. We were still trying to make plays on Louisville because we had them pinned down deep in their own end zone, but it just ended up being one of the worst plays from a college defense I have ever seen, not just from execution, um, but from scheme and awareness. And it was just a, a whole grab bag of awful, um, and really, really happy that the game didn't come down to that. Because as I mentioned, that's one of those where if we ended up losing this game by one score, I think I would have been physically ill. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one play, right? Yeah. But it's it's not a 90-yard run in the middle of the third quarter. I mean, this was the last play of the half. And I mean, you know, things like Hail Marys happen, and you can understand why the ball gets batted into the air. There's a bunch of guys standing around. It's, it's a luck play. Right. Okay? I don't. I mean, I was trying to recall in my head a 90-yard touchdown run before half. No. Like, that just doesn't happen. I mean, you, you and, see the play me, constantly, right? Like, this is a common play right. in college football when the opposing team is too deep to really want to throw the ball at risk of an interception for a touchdown or fumbling. So they make the safe play, which is to hand it off to the tailback. Typically, this gains about 10 to 15 yards, and everybody goes into the half happy. I have never yeah. seen... Or even considered a running back being able to rip one of these off for a touchdown. And I mean, to be honest, like it, it just the play call is one thing, right? Yeah. And we can talk about the play call all you want, but I thought it was just really bad execution from the players. Absolutely. With the bad angles, with the gaps they were hitting. They didn't give themselves a very good chance to make the play. But you know, that being said, it's one play. The way that they came out in the second half, they put up ten unanswered. It didn't let them affect them. No. So that was good to see. It was. And, you know, the offense gave this defense a 31-14 lead. And then, you know, kind of kind of the rails just started to fall off. Yeah. Like like we've like we've seen so so many times this year. And, you know, we said the Dean needed to force turnovers and they did. Mm -hmm. You know, they picked off Cunningham three times. He also had three hundred and fifty yards passing and three touchdowns. You know, they gave up an eighty seven yard touchdown to Dre Fitzpatrick just over the top. Guy running wide open. Yep. So that's two plays accounting for two of Louisville's five touchdowns for 177 total yards. And, you know, I think that's the most frustrating part watching this defense is I actually thought the play calling was good. You know, I liked what we were doing uh, with pressuring the quarterback. If you've watched Louisville this year, you know, you've seen Cunningham struggle when he gets pressure and he, you know, makes mistakes with his arm and he turns the ball over. And they were doing a great job of that. What they weren't doing was tackling. 
right. Malik Cunningham. Right. They couldn't bring him to the ground. And, and then what happens? Well, he just blitzed, right? So guys are going to be open down the field. I mean, there there are less people down the field to make plays when you're sending people towards the line of scrimmage at the quarterback. And so that's why there were so many chunk yardage plays in that second half because they were getting to the quarterback. Yeah. They were pressuring him. Yep. But they they weren't executing. And I, I thought that was the biggest issue that I saw. I actually thought it was a really good play or uh, game plan by Justin Hamilton. The team has to do a better job of wrapping up, plain and simple. Yeah. And we can put the blame on the coaches all we want. It's easy to do. But players play and coaches coach. Players didn't play at a high level in the second half. And, you know, they've got to be better as you go into the season. You go into the thick of your schedule. Okay, so you've already lost twice. Right. You know, the ACC championship game, technically, you know, it's it's possible. Sure. A sure. lot has to go right. But the reason Louisville got this game within six late before Herbert put him six feet under with a 24-yard touchdown run was just because they couldn't wrap up and tackle. Plain and simple. That is, that's it. Yeah, and it's a theme, right? I mean, the tackling's kind of been poor all year, and it's not one of those things where you can really, like you said, blame the coaches. I mean, um, you know, we'd have better luck probably trotting Jay Ham out there and letting him hit people and make some tackles as opposed to what we're seeing right now um, from the defense, which good news is it's fixable. Uh, the bad news is it's been an issue, right? So hopefully we see some improvement there, and, and hopefully the guys remember how to tackle again. Um, you know, w- credit to the defensive coaching staff on the game plan, as you mentioned. I thought, you know, we played the right kind of aggressive approach against Louisville that I think is kind of necessary rather than letting Malik get comfortable and that offense get comfortable and start to kind of pick you apart. I think, you know, the best way to attack an aggressive offense, in my mind, is to be aggressive right back. Um, and that seemed to do well, you know, so I can tolerate the breakdowns and the kind of chunk plays that we gave up as it's part and parcel to running that kind of defense. Now, in the future, would I like it cleaned up? Absolutely. I don't think just because you're playing an aggressive uh, style on defense means that you should expect to give up as many kind of big plays as we did um, and as many yards as we did. But I think, you know, given the style that I thought we needed to play, um, you know, I'm more than willing to accept some of those warts that come along with it. Um, you know, as far as players go, I just want to shout out. I thought Josh Fuga continues to get better. Um, and he's one of those guys. I don't think we had super high hopes for him when he came on last year. You know, he was always one of those project guys. And you can tell by his body, he's kind of transformed, you know, sophomore year. He's looking good, making plays, had a sack out there. Um, you know, I think it's big, especially from a position like interior D line where he could use some depth that he's able to step in and, you know, the next guy I'm going to shout out, I know, you know, I mean, this this guy popped off the tape. I know you're going to say the same thing. Alan Tisdale, man, this was probably his best game in a Hokies uniform. Um, The guy is just, he's fast out of that linebacker spot. He's rangy laterally. He makes some really, really good plays. And I just thought he was all over the ball. Again, if you look at the stat line, seven tackles with two assisted, you're not going to think that that really like, you know, blows your mind. But I know, especially if you go back and watch it, because I did, uh, you know, go watch the condensed game. He really just popped off the tape as a guy that you're not going to be able to keep him off the field, you know, out of that linebacking core. I I don't think moving forward. Yeah. I mean, he was uh, kind of in my little section here of things that I noticed. So, I mean, this was the third game in a row that Tisdale started over Dax. Yeah. 
and uh, Dax only has one tackle in his last two games. Yeah. So he's really not playing a lot. Um, but, you know, one thing I'll say about Dax is he's certainly bringing the energy on the sideline. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude is, uh, dude is a team player. You can certainly see that. It'd be easy for a guy like him who has been the starter, has been starting for years to just kind of, uh, you know, curl up and, you know, become a, a problem in the locker room or just disengage. But he uh, he's clearly not doing that. Uh, but, yeah, Tisdale's popping off the page. You know, Shamari Connor's another guy, mm-hmm. man. I think he's the best defender on, on the field for yeah. Virginia Tech right now. Gosh. I mean, the guy's playing at a super high level. Uh, he had his first interception of the season. And, you know, I really think that secondary's coming along very nicely. And if they can go ahead and add Jermaine Waller back, who was at the game in dress, just couldn't go, uh, but sounds like he is going to play this week. I think uh, that really starts to bolster up uh, the secondary for Virginia Tech, and, and that'll uh, really be a nice added dimension as they go in. And then if you look at the defensive line, like Justice Reed got off to a hot start, two yes, sacks on back-to-back drives. Um, so that was great to see. Um, guy who had been, uh, you know, not putting up the numbers that uh, we had been anticipating, but definitely got off to the right start. And if you look at that defensive line, you know, uh, Tawan Garbett is – back i don't yeah. i don't know when we should expect him to play but you know he's back in, into the football program and if he can play you know that's going to be a nice uh you know mid-season ad that we weren't necessarily banking on so yeah and i think uh, i think he actually got on the field for a player too um oh I did he correctly. Okay. yeah he got some snaps yeah. so um that is a huge huge bonus for us at this point in the season um all the covid weirdness going on and and depth issues it's nice to have kind of like a positive thing uh, come out of the depth side of the ball and, and get a guy like like you know of garbage status to come in midseason and bolster that that defensive line. Yeah, so I, you know I think this defense is getting better. Um, it's still got its issues, and to ask them to learn how to tackle overnight, these guys should know how to tackle. So what is it that's happening? Why aren't they able to wrap up better? I mean, hopefully these are little things that the coaching staff is working with them on and we'll start to see improvements, but two pretty difficult quarterback matchups in, uh, in back-to-back weeks that we'll talk about in a little bit, but let's jump into the offense um, and what they were able to do first in this game. And, you know, it's Hendon Hooker really stands out. His rushing ability and oh, just the the ability that he has shown this year is just off the charts. I mean, three rushing touchdowns in the first half and you know, we thought he'd be able to run the ball. We were a tad worried about the Louisville secondary. And he goes 10 for 10 for 183. So, fewest pass attempts for the Hokies since 2009 against Miami. Tim, you remember that game? (laughs) No. Rainstorm. Sure don't. Mr. Boston, (laughs) open front doors. Yeah. Great times. That was a mess of a weekend. But yeah, I think that's a, yeah, a very good comparison. And Hendon, just continues to be, you know, this guy who has shown us now for a year and a half um, that he really is a heck of a quarterback. And I think the, this version of Hendon, uh, as opposed to last year, really seems to has improved on the kind of instinct side of running the football. I'm not sure if he's faster, but he certainly looks faster. And a lot of that has to do with how well he's seeing the football field, his his you know how comfortable he is in the offense and how quick he is and decisive he is when hitting holes and you know I think you're really seeing that specifically on the interior run game from Hendon um the guy is just running the ball so well where if you can you know go out and have a guy who's going to put up a, a 10 for 10 game 
as well as run the ball for for 70-ish yards and three scores. I mean, you're going to be in just about every football game you play, uh, coupling him with obviously the dynamo that is Khalil Herbert at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, they just don't need to throw the ball most days. No. Um, they just don't need so, to. So, I mean, that's that's great. And, you know, Hooker was sacked twice. Louisville did have six tackles for loss, but that was probably the worst thing that, that happened. There were three punts uh, in the first half, none of the second half. Um, but if you look at Hooker and Herbert, I mean, they combined for 215 rushing yards and four total touchdowns. Yeah. So these guys just keep on putting up numbers. And as long as they're, you know, chugging away, like Virginia Tech should have no problem scoring against anybody. Yeah. Really yeah. the only complaint I had in this game for the Hokies is they just still seem to be struggling to finish drives at times. So, I mean, yeah. there's there's one drive that really kind of was frustrating where they started on the Louisville 13 strung together a 14-play, 84-yard drive, and they had to settle for a field goal. And, I mean, didn't cost them in this game. Um, it's painful to not score a touchdown when you have a drive like that. Um, but it's just something you want to see Tech get better at, um, you know, over the course of the season. It just seems to to be something that is uh, consistently happening week in, week out. Um, but otherwise, I mean, they they got points out of the drive. I'm just saying it's it's something that I've noticed that, you know, when when you're stringing together a, a drive that long and that many plays, like you expect to get into the end zone. So, yeah. um, you know, they continue really outside of the weight game to give this this team a chance to win every single game because of this offense. And, you know, they're likely going to need to continue to do so as they really hit the meat and potatoes of their schedule. I mean, the first half of the season was um, a couple of a tough opponents, obviously went down twice. Um, but you know, there's some big games coming up, so it's time to, time to really, uh, focus in and turn the corner and this offense is going to be challenged. So let's, uh, let's see what it can do when they can get punched in the mouth. I don't think it'll be challenged this week against Liberty, but you know, Miami Pitt, uh, those kinds of teams coming up. will we're really going to see what, what it's made of some, uh, some things I noticed him, Trey Turner, you know, oh, finally yeah. emerging. Uh, on the day you know so four catches 71 yards caught a touchdown pass his best game of the year by far um Andy Bitter I thought he had a great stat talking about the number of pass attempts only three teams have thrown the ball less than Virginia Tech this season that have played at least six games and that's Navy Georgia Southern and Army and what do they have in common they run the triple option that's right yeah. so that just shows you what this offense has been able to do on the ground. Um, and again, you know, there's no reason to stop it. If it's working, just keep on doing it. And hopefully when you do need to throw, uh, you don't have a situation like Wake Forest. Yeah, I'm glad, you know, Brad Cornelson isn't afraid to lean that far into the running side of the football. I mean, that's the strength of the team. And, um, you know, other coaches would certainly you know, sacrifice maybe leaning into what's best for the team in order to really fit their scheme. But, you know, credit to him, hats off. I can be critical of Brad. We all know that. But, you know, I think it, it says a lot about his willingness to be flexible when you see a game where Hinton Hooker throws the ball 10 times. Uh, that to me says, you know, what's working and you're not willing to shy away from it. And, you know, sometimes in college football, offensive coordinators can, they, you know, they have a tendency to get away from things that work for inexplicable reasons. So, uh, nice to see that we can go out and have this kind of game where offensively we've got you know our foot on the opponent's neck and we don't take it off 
or give them a chance to breathe, which is really what occurred uh, this game. You know, I, I thought the the final score obviously was a little closer, I think, than the game felt, certainly. And like you said, a lot of that had to do with not taking advantage of a scoring drive or two where maybe we should have to extend the drive. Obviously, there were some defensive breakdowns that led to that gap closing. But all in all, a solid effort from a team that really could have mailed it in. And, um, you know, it was really more good than bad, I think, clearly, especially when you consider the win and kind of how we were feeling about this matchup going in. Yeah, so a nice rebound win for the Hokies. Uh, it certainly puts them in, uh, you know, better shapes. They enter Liberty, and then after Liberty, they really kind of start to get back to ACC and see what can happen, you know? Yep. Anything can happen in the ACC. That's what we know. Spin um, the wheel. And talking about the ACC, let's go ahead and recap Week 8, Tim. So, shocker of the week, number one Clemson 34, BC 28. Um, BC had a really good chance to win this game, and, pretty much took it down to the wire and you know obviously Trevor Lawrence was out with COVID but I don't think that had anything to do with this particular performance I mean uh the defense didn't play great Uh, I mean they they played you say the defense didn't play great they didn't they certainly didn't play bad but BC was just in the game um offensively I'm gonna butcher the guy's name I haven't mastered (laughs) yet DJ Ugalele I guess is that how you say it that's how I was Uh, gonna say it you know, he made his first start. He played well. He's the five-star out of uh, California. So five-star out, five-star up, next guy up. And I think there's a five-star behind him. So isn't that nice? 341 Yay. yards passing, two touchdowns. You know, BC did a really good job of keeping uh, Clemson's run game in check, um, allowing just over 100 yards. Uh, but ETN couldn't be held in check through the year. Had seven catches for 140 and a score. I thought Jerkovic looked pretty good. I think it was his best game of the season uh, by far, given the opponent uh, had 204 and two touchdowns through the air. But very little happening in the run game for BC in this one. It wasn't enough, and uh, Clemson is able to survive in advance. Yeah, they, that they did. And uh, Ukulele looks like an absolute unit out there, a massive quarterback, has an extremely live arm. Uh, you know, it's clear to see that Clemson is just going to reload uh, once Lawrence is gone. Not that we would have expected any different. As you mentioned, huge game from Etienne through the air, getting those 140 uh, in the score. I think that really was the difference, although Etienne really had a costly fumble, um, you know, which was returned, I think, almost 99 yards for a BC score. So sure, you'd like to see that cleaned up if you're a Tigers fan, but um, not a lot to complain about. You know, it looked like one of those games where if, if Clemson was going to lose this year, that was the game. Uh, and they were able to do everything they could to stave it off, and, and they march on. And uh, big credit to Boston Colleges. They played well, and, and Jerkovic continues to look like a really good quarterback. UVA, the home dog, pulls an upset, 44-41 over 15th-ranked North Carolina. A big win for uh, for UVA, and you know, pretty, pretty strong performance overall by Brendan Armstrong. He had three touchdowns through the air, 66 yards on the ground. I think what's really standing out for me, Tim, with UVA is their run game. And mm-hmm. they've done a really good job of mixing in a number of different guys, including uh, Keaton Thompson, who's the backup quarterback who wears 99, transfer from Mississippi State. Uh, they've got a really nice wildcat package for him uh, that works uh, very well. And, you know, Shane Simpson, who's, uh, you know, their a guy who they've been mixing in a little bit more over the last couple of weeks, had the best game of his career. Had eight carries for 70 yards, and, you know, I think UVA had over 200 yards rushing in this game. So, uh, for them, that's uh, that's been a struggle over the last year and a half, and it certainly seems that they've found kind of their, their groove and their run game. 
Uh, defensively, you know, they sacked Hal five times. They had seven tackles for loss. And what really put UVA over the top was they shut down this UNC rushing attack. I mean, yeah. held them to only 93 yards on the ground, which if you've been paying attention, North Carolina has been a dominant rushing uh, rushing team in the ACC. And, you know, this game was close at halftime. It was 27-20 in UVA's favor, but UVA came out with a touchdown on their opening drive in the second half. UNC fumbled the Knicks' possession deep in their territory, and UVA scored five plays later, and just like that, it's 41-20. UNC couldn't recover, uh, and this really puts them behind the eight ball in the race for the ACC championship game. I mean, they're pretty much in the same spot as Virginia Tech right now. It's it's looking like a two-horse race between Notre Dame and, and Clemson. Um, but, yeah, this was a, a pretty big bad loss for for Mac Brown in in North Carolina yeah it was it was a tough one you know I think defensively it was a hard matchup for that UNC offense because of the 3-4 that UVA runs UNC really likes to attack the edge in their rushing game and that 3-4 is really strong on the edge especially from a pressure standpoint Um, not only integrity in the running game to maintain that edge but really pressured the quarterback as well which I think showed up Um, But, you know, you really hit on it in regards to that UVA offense. They've kind of found a recipe for success there, and you can kind of see why they were so excited to get Shane Simpson on the field because the guy looks great. Uh, 140 total yards. He averaged 8.8 yards a carry, um, only on eight carries, but certainly if he can be anywhere around that average for the rest of the year, uh, they're going to be lights out as far as their rushing attack goes. You know, surely if you were to criticize them, they'd love to do a little bit more in the passing game. But it was one of those situations like we had with uh, Virginia Tech. They just didn't need to do it. Um, Brendan Armstrong did just enough through the air, 12 completions for 208 yards. Um, But really the thing that impressed me most about Brendan Armstrong was, you know, his ability to extend plays with his feet uh, and be an effective contributor in the running game. Because as we've seen, UVA relies heavily on their quarterback to get the ball running, literally. Um, and he was able to do that, rush 20 times for 66 yards. So may not seem like a lot of yards per carry average, but when you're leaning that heavily on your quarterback position, it's going to be important to get consistency in the running game for them, and they got it, and, and Brennan Armstrong looked great doing it. So, um, you know, Virginia definitely wasn't as bad as their record indicated. Uh, certainly a huge win for the Cavs, and, and see if they can build on that momentum now moving forward for the rest of the season. Three other games that went on with ACC teams, uh, you know, Notre Dame 31-13 over Georgia Tech, typical, you know, Irish win, dominated defensively, efficient offensively, uh, held uh, Georgia Tech only 88 yards on the ground, you know, Wake Forest 38-14 over Syracuse, dominated from start to finish, Syracuse continues to crater at rock bottom, and then Duke uh, with a big win over Charlotte 53-19. Uh, their second win of the year, and they went for 274 on the ground. So nothing really too surprising out of those three games, Tim. No, and, you know, I thought it was pretty neat to see Duke play as well as they played. I thought Charlotte would have been one of those sneaky teams that, given the way Duke's season has gone to this point, that it would almost be their Super Bowl in-state Power 5 matchup for them. Not super common. Um, and Charlotte certainly has some athletes. They're not, you know, the the program they were a few years ago. They're They're certainly improved. Um, but it was great to see Duke come out and make the statement that they made. They played well. Um, as you said, the rushing attack was really working for them. Um, and Syracuse, wow. Uh, you know, one minute you think they're back, and then the next minute they're back to just absolutely being a smoking crater in the ground. And, um, you know, I'm not so sure any head coach has done the glow up to blow up quicker than Dino Babers has. Um, you know, they still can't get what they need out of their quarterback, which seems to be the real issue. Uh, Rex Culpepper, great name, not so great arm, 15 for 27, 85 yards. 
Um, that's a 3.1 yard per throw average. Uh, and that's that's sub Drew Brees level. That's not going to get it done, um, you know. And it, you're just sitting here wondering, kind of looking at Syracuse, like how did it get as bad as it's gotten now? Uh, and I have no real answer to that. But man, it is bad. So let's jump into the Liberty Virginia Tech preview. So 25th ranked Liberty, wow, at the yeah. Hokies. This is noon Eastern ACC Network. Virginia Tech is a 14 and a half point favorite. So some opening thoughts on this te- or on this game, Tim. You know, there seems to be a lot of uneasiness in Hokie country about this game, and you know, rightfully so. You know, Liberty has a very good offense. You know, they're ranked in the top twenty-five, I think, for the first time ever. You know, Virginia Tech has lost to James Madison. You know, back in twenty eleven, they lost to Old Dominion in twenty eighteen. They lost to UVA last year. I guess it's Liberty's turn to join the party, right? Yeah. I get the I get the uneasiness, but. I also think if Virginia Tech comes out and plays like they have offensively, everything's going to be fine. And Liberty is undefeated. This is their second game against an ACC opponent this year. Syracuse was the first, who they beat by 17 on the road. But the opponents they've played are a combined 4-28. and And it's, it's tough to play that many bad teams when you've already played six games. So they've played six games, and their opponents have four wins. That's crazy. And, you know, one other advantage Liberty may have in this game, they had an extra week to prepare, you know, didn't play last week, had a bye. But from from my perspective, it's tough to figure out how good Liberty is. You know, you can look at stats, you can look at performance, but they haven't played anybody even close to having a winning record. So anything on the stat sheet is going to be inflated. The best offense Liberty has gone up against this season ranks 73rd in S&P Plus, one of those advanced metrics. By comparison, Virginia Tech ranks 13th in the country. Every other opponent they've played is ranked 109th or worse. So in my opinion, they have no business being, being ranked with the schedule that they've played, but they are. And, you know, I can guarantee... You know, they're hearing all of this and they're using it for motivation. You know, this is already probably the biggest game in their program's history, which Virginia Tech's used to. Like, that's happened to them before many times. You know, in 2018, when they were like at one of the worst points in the program that they've ever been, you know, it was still Old Dominion's biggest win in program history, probably always will be, and it was their freaking Super Bowl. And and that's what it is here. I mean, this this is Liberty's Super Bowl this year. So, you know, they're pulling four stars on the trail. Hugh Freeze is a cultural fit. We, we, we'll see what happens when the dust settles and, and he moves on, assuming he will at some point. But he's built up a, a solid program that has a pretty strong financial backing. But, you know, non-Power 5 team, when they're going up against a team that has been the premier program in their state or region for decades, that's, that's Virginia Tech. And Liberty's got them pinpointed here. Don't be fooled. This is their Super Bowl. So, yeah, Virginia Tech better be ready uh, because Liberty isn't going to roll over. But I just don't see a path for Virginia Tech to lose this game. Yeah, uh, I'm certainly with you as far as the confidence goes. I don't really see this as being 
a game where Virginia Tech really has to to be super worried that they're going up against a behemoth in regards to talent. I think certainly the ranking is obviously overinflated when you actually dig into the numbers and see who they've beat, see who the teams they faced. But I will say, you know, where Virginia Tech needs to be careful is just from a coaching perspective. Um, I think Hugh Freeze is one of maybe the top 10 minds offensively in college football. So you've got a guy who is an extremely proven, extremely good offensive coach going up against our defensive coordinator, Justin Hamilton, who is a good coach in his own right, uh, but is inexperienced. So will Hugh Freeze be able to capitalize on maybe some of that inexperience? Um, You know, he's going to come out with an effective game plan. One thing we're sure of is that Liberty knows how to move the football, um, and I think they'll be able to do that. I think the question becomes... You know, is this matchup going to be a challenge for that defensive side of the ball, specifically, you know, where coaching is concerned? Again, because I'm not too worried about the talent versus talent matchup here. Um, And and I'm not worried in regards to that. I think Justin is going to do, you know, more than enough to get the victory. I think if there's any worry or or anything that should give Virginia Tech pause, to me, that would be it, would be the coaching matchup there, defensively versus offensively. Um, but, but I think the Hokies are going to pull out just fine. And, and as you said, uh, one thing is for sure, and they are going to get the Flames best shot. Yeah, and I mean, let's talk about the Liberty offense a little bit. So, I mean, if you, if you watch Liberty and you see how they play, you know, it's not dissimilar to Virginia Tech's offense. It's a, uh, it's a very similar style offense. It runs through the quarterback position, which is manned by Malik Willis. And, yes, that is the former Virginia Tech commitment who decommitted to go to Auburn. Doesn't that sound like a a story we've heard before? (laughs) That's Um, familiar. But he is now at Liberty, and he's a dual threat. And uh, I know that's concerning anytime, uh, you know, there's a dual threat option playing against Virginia Tech. But, um, you know, they just played played against one at Louisville. They're going to play against one next week in Miami. So, you know, I thought this defense did a really good job last week of applying pressure and forcing turnovers. But, again unable to bring down Cunningham consistently to the ground that resulted in big plays down the field in a game that was a lot closer than I think it should have been and if you look at Malik Malik Willis he's having a good year you know he's thrown for over 1100 yards he's completing 67 percent of his passes he's got nine passing touchdowns you know per David Hale on Twitter he leads the nation in QB scramble yards meaning you know running when it's not a designed run uh, with 322 and so by comparison you know Malik Cunningham has 228 um, so you know that's going to be something to watch there I think you know total rushing yards he's got 495 for six touchdowns he's certainly a dynamic athlete with the ball rushing wise outside of Willis they utilize three different backs they've got Joshua Mack uh, Shedrew Lewis who dominated uh, Syracuse earlier this season and then Peyton Pickett, who, you know, they all have over 300 yards on the season. You know, in the passing game, they're not really utilizing their tight ends or running backs, but they've got uh, a pretty solid leading receiver in DJ Stubbs. He's averaging 13.9 yards per catch on 27 catches. Kevin Shaw and Demario Douglas uh, are the other two receivers who have double-titchy catches on the year. So they've certainly got some playmakers on this offense. Uh, They do some things well. I think when you look at who they've played they they haven't been challenged um you know one game that I thought was interesting just going back and watching some condensed games of Liberty this season Tim was uh their most recent game against Southern Miss and that's a game where Liberty was up 35-7 uh in the in the second half to start the second half and you know Southern Miss came back and got within a touchdown and the 
final score ended up being, uh, you know, two or three touchdown win for for uh, Liberty. But you know, there's certainly um, there's certainly ways to slow down this offense. You know, if you're forcing turnovers, if you're pressuring the quarterback. Uh, you know, I think there is uh, there's something to be said for for slowing Liberty down, but it it really comes down to Malik Willis. If Virginia Tech lets Malik Willis run wild, and you know have time to throw the ball, or you know unable to bring him to the ground, it could be a very long day for this defense. Yeah, and you know you look at past games. The one that kind of stood out to me was the FIU game. Uh, you know, against a vi- objectively bad FIU team. This is an FIU team that's has no wins in the season, zero and three. Um, you know, they took Liberty to the wire, going thirty six to thirty four. Uh, Liberty eking out a win there uh, against the Golden Panthers. And I think one key, if you're looking at a way to, okay, Malik Willis, good at rushing. We're going to see if that dual threat curse carries over from the Bud Foster administration on defense, but. Um, you know, if there is one chink in the armor, I think it's that he seems to be a fairly easy quarterback to get pressure on. Um, you know, this is a guy that's been sacked 11 plus times this year. Uh, and this is a game where Virginia Tech is going to need to bring the chaos and make some impact plays on defense because this is a game where Liberty is going to get some yards. This isn't going to be a, hey, we're going to shut down this offense kind of game. They are just too good at what they want to do on that side of the ball to completely shut them down. Um, so I think, you know, making some impact plays on defense, making him uncomfortable is going to be a big thing for that Hokie defense to go ahead and and do hopefully sooner in the game rather than later. Yeah, and, you know, we've said it earlier as far as the Virginia Tech defense, or I said it, you know, I think they're very close to being a lot better. And yeah, unfortunately, it just comes at a really challenging time of the year for them opponent-wise, uh, not specifically saying Liberty, but, you know, I do think Liberty does give them some challenges defensively that, you know, they have some things to work on when it comes to stopping mobile quarterbacks and wrapping up and tackling. But, you know, I thought Josh Fuga said it best this week. He said this team lives and dies by gap control, sticking to their assignments, yeah. not overreacting. Um, all very critical things against run-heavy teams. And, you know, again, tackling's just got to be better. It sounds like Jermaine mm-hmm. Waller is going to be back this week, which is going to be a huge boost. Um, you know, he did travel. He did dress for Louisville, but he just couldn't go. So mix him into a secondary that has been challenged this year. But getting really good production out of Diablo, Connor, you know, Breon Murray, Devin Taylor, you know, Waller's going to be a nice addition to here. I'm Randy Chapman has struggled at times, but it seems like he's stabilized him a little bit. So, you know, I, I really like those guys going up against a, 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 Liberty, a Liberty offense. Um, it's just about limiting the big play. And if the Hokies can start yeah. doing the little things better, it's going to go a long way to vastly improving their performance overall. And it needs to start here this week as they have a very similar quarterback matchup against Miami next week and against the, the very much higher powered offense in Miami as well. But, you know, they need not worry about Miami at all. I'm sure they're not worried nope. about them. I'm sure they're very focused on Liberty at this point. But that's really what I'm looking for out of the defense. Yeah, yeah, all great points. If we can do the small things better, uh, specifically tackling, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be in good shape. And, and as you said, this is a great, it's not a tune-up game. It's not a game that you can look at as a tune-up. I think Liberty is too good in their own right to do that, obviously. Anytime you got a top 25 team coming in, especially an in-state opponent, you're going to need to give them all your focus, and they deserve it as well as they've played. Um, but I think this is about as good of a game that you could have before Miami as could possibly exist. Uh, so that's a bit of a silver lining there as well in a prep factor. Um, so that's something worth shouting out. Yeah, and then for the Virginia Tech offense, I mean, 
you know, we talked about the S&P Plus ranking of Louisville uh, opponents from an offensive standpoint. You know, Liberty's defense ranks 63rd in S&P Plus. So, you know, the stats aren't going to tell you the full story. You know, Virginia Tech's opponents the rest of the way all rank in the top 50. So this is really their last, you know, less than top 50 defense that they're going to go up against for a while. And, um, you know, Liberty has not played anything close to the caliber of offense of what Virginia Tech is rolling out on a week-to-week basis. So uh, Virginia Tech's going to try and run the ball down their throat like they do every week. And if they can, they're going to roll out of here with the win. I mean, 100%. I just don't see how they don't. Khalil Herbert's 197 yards away from 1,000. Hinton Hooker has been absolutely lethal in the run game. You know, let's see what happens through the air. Maybe they come out and they start firing a little bit more, but I don't anticipate the Hokies having issues moving the ball against Liberty no matter which way they choose. And, you know, build off of that momentum from last week, keep scoring. You know, I'd like to see uh, Hooker throw a few more touchdowns, get some of those receivers involved. I'd really like to see, you know, guys like Shanga Hodge pop and, you know, more more throws towards James Mitchell. and just want to keep seeing big plays out of Trey Turner. That's all great. Um, and it would just be icing on the cake at this point. But, you know, I really just want to see that smash smash mouth football that we've been seeing all season with uh, the Vice Squad and uh, Khalil Herbert and Hendon Hooker. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, although, you know, seeing Trey continue his upward trajectory would be nice just for a, you know, kind of positioning on the season and what we're going to be able to do with that wide receiver core yeah, and, how about, and increasing how about this? separation. How about this? How about a hundred yard receiving game out of a receiver? Don't care who it is. I would love it. I would love it, Justin. That's just what the doctor ordered. So, Tim, what's your prediction for this one? Uh, you know, this is a tough one for me because I really do think think Liberty's gonna be able to put up some points. Let's go forty two to twenty eight. Yeah, I, I do think um if I were gonna be betting on this game, which I'm not, uh that I would put my money on Liberty to cover. Um, I think the Hokies are going to be in control of this game most of the way, uh, similar to what we saw last week. But um, I do think Liberty's going to score some points, maybe some points late, um, just as they're you know desperately trying to come back in this game. Um, so sure. I'm going to say 48-35 final. I think the Hokies get it done, move to five and two. Hopefully, play better defensively, and you know they head into the Miami game with a two-game winning streak. Yeah, I mean, look, that that's the key, right? We just got to get the win and, and move on because that Miami game is going to loom large, and it is going to be a challenge to not look ahead to a, a team, a rival like Miami. Um, so, you know, a, a big job for the coaching staff ahead to make sure the team's in the right mindset. So let's uh, let's take a look at Week 9 in the ACC, Tim. You know, there's some interesting matchups this week. We've got number 11 Miami at NC State, uh, the UNC at Duke rivalry, you know, Pitt is an underdog at FSU, Louisville at UVA, Clemson at Notre Dame, and then, uh, you know, BC probably going to lay down the wood against uh, <laughs> Syracuse on the road. But, you know, fairly interesting week, I'd say. Uh, I think yeah. the ACC Wheel of Doom is probably going to continue to spin. We'll just see who it lands on. Um, you know, I think looking at the standings right now, Miami's the only team in the ACC that has one loss. You've got Notre Dame and Clemson that are both undefeated, and you've got four teams with two losses. And I personally think Notre Dame loses to Clemson big, you know. Uh, yeah. Can Miami hold against NC State? That that feels like an ACC Wheel of Doom pick. 
now. Oh, it's it's prime, especially if you consider the Carter Finley Stadium at night uh, situation. Fr- Friday that's night be occurring. There. Friday night. Yeah. Friday, Friday night, night lights at Carter Finley, NC State, and they're all black uniforms. You know, the issue with NC State being you got Bailey Hockman at quarterback. He looked better in the second half against UNC. Dave Doran's already come out and said he's their guy. Um, so, again, you have to wonder how well NC State's going to play on offense. But, you know, they have so said Hockman's they're going to try to get not Finley? Ben Finley. Finley will get played, right? They got wow. packages for him. Dave said he wants him to get on the field. But, yes, Hockman is the starter. Um so it's interesting to see. I, I think NC State's defense is a good fit for that Miami offense. I think they can give them some problems. Um, and I think it could be a challenging game. I think NC State's just one of those teams that uh, is always going to be a bit of a challenge in these night games because I think they're easy to underestimate right now, uh, given what's gone on with, with obviously losing Devin Leary um, for the season. And, you know, th- this could be one of those games where Miami ends up maybe overlooking and underplaying NC State for just enough uh, to give the Wolfpack a chance to walk away with a victory. So that's one to look at. I think ACC Wheel of Doom potential extremely high there. And, and I'm with you on the Notre Dame-Clemson uh, game. I, I really think Clemson is going to cruise in that game. Just too much talent. Um, and they're going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, uh, obviously because of how they played against B.C., uh, and unfortunately, Notre Dame is going to be the recipient of kind of some pent up aggression there. Yeah, and I think um, you know it's it's going to be interesting to see the next few weeks unfold. You got Notre Dame playing Clemson this week. You know, I'm going to say that's a loss. Then they play Boston College in North Carolina on the road in their next two games. You know, those could be toss ups. Notre Dame again has not jumped off the page this year. You've got Miami Virginia Tech next week. You know, at this point, that's a bigger game for Miami than Virginia Tech because of the ACC championship game being a realistic right. possibility. They've already got their loss to Clemson out of the way. Um, but what we haven't seen out of Miami is that one just stunning loss yet. So right. when is that coming? Because it's coming. It's got to come, right? Um, it does. It's just a matter of when, not if. So, you know, I think the loser of the Miami VT game next week, that's going to be a loser-goes-home game for sure. But uh, interesting few weeks. Uh, I want to see how legit Notre Dame is or if they're pretenders like we think they are. Uh, I want to see, is is Pitt just done? Have they mailed it in? You know, they had Paris Ford opt out for the remainder of the season. That's a big loss in their secondary. Uh, the fact that they're a road dog on the road against FSU is uh, – surprising uh, considering that defense and then can UVA can they take another step in salvaging their season against a pretty high-powered Louisville offense and a Louisville team that I think has uh, turned the corner over the last couple of weeks even though they're coming off a loss to to the Hokies so some definitely uh, some interesting games this week but let's let's jump into the doing line segment Tim and uh, let's close it out so Again, uh, you know, it, it just it continues to just be an absolute <laughs> bloodbath. Um, yeah, death spiral, man. Both of us won in three last week. Uh, I won Wake Forest, lost Notre Dame, North Carolina, and Minnesota. Minnesota, you yeah, should ooh. be ashamed of yourselves. Uh, sh- Not only did lost? you blow the spread, <laughs> you lost the game to Maryland. Yeah, I mean, oh, just, boy. I'm without words. Yeah. And then you won that, Wake as well, Tim. That was Tim. bad. 
You lost Clemson. Yeah, I mean, Wake, Wake was the low-hanging fruit, and uh, credit to us for identifying the low-hanging fruit of the week. I think Wake was definitely the easiest pick. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it interrupted you there, but, yeah, I lost Clemson, UNC, and, and Iowa as well. Yeah, um, Iowa was you know, the letting Northwestern walk into Ames and, you know, just blow you off the field really uh, by one. Really no good there. Blow you off the field yeah. by one. Um, yeah, so I'm 11-20 and 20 overall now. I did not misspeak, and Tim is eleven nineteen and one. So we are really, really tearing it up. But I'm feeling good about this week, Tim. I don't know about you. I think there's some pretty attractive lines to go after. So I'll I'll let you get it started. Um, yeah, I, I think my first my first pick here is going to be UNC minus ten and a half versus Duke. Uh, you know, I think that's a prime situation. Uh, for UNC to really kind of stretch its legs a little bit after that UVA loss. I, I feel like Mac's a good enough coach where they'll bounce back just fine. And who better to do it against than an in-state rival um, in, in, in the battery, battle for the victory bell? Uh, Howell and the boys are going to get it done. And I certainly think 10.5 points is conservative enough for me to want to jump on that. Yep, like that pick, I've got the same uh, so I'll go ahead and give you my second pick, uh, which is Pitt at plus two at FSU. Um, yeah. I think Pitt does a really good job of taking away the run, which is really the best part of Florida State's offense. Um, and I, again, I'm just not ready to, to buy into Florida State. They had a, a nice flash victory earlier this year, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take Pitt plus two. Well, good. I like these games because when I take the opposite of the line, it makes it so at least we'll end up with a different record maybe. Um, You know, a couple reasons there. Paris Ford kind of ditching the team halfway through the season. I think that's going to have an impact psychologically on that pit defense. They weren't good to begin with, especially against the pass, but I think Paris Ford was one of the few bright spots on that defense that was still playing at a somewhat high level. Um, Not only that, I think he was a leader on the defense. So, you know, that seems like something that's going to be, you know, something not worth just sweeping under the rug the other issue there is at florida state there will be some fans in the stadium um norvell can use all the acc wins he can get at this point you know he wants to make a splash in his first year or at least not stink up the joint too bad so i think there's going to be heightened focus applied to this game by fsu maybe a little turmoil in the locker room at Pitt. um so i'm going to take fsu minus two versus Pitt. Uh, last ACC game I'm taking BC minus 14 at Syracuse. I mean, from what I've seen out of BC the last couple of weeks, I, I think they hit that with ease and, you know, just continue to, to beat Syracuse into oblivion. Yeah. I mean, obviously we talked about low hanging fruit before. I feel like this is definitely a low-hanging fruit. I don't know what Vegas is thinking here, but BC minus 14 versus Q's. As a matter of fact, the line has dropped to 13.5, so if you want to take that, I'll give it to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll take that half point. BC minus 13.5 versus Q's seems like an easy play to me, especially when you saw a team in BC last week that was playing extremely well. Um, Certainly a tale of two different seasons when you look at Syracuse and BC. Uh, And on paper, at least before the game, a team that BC should have no problems with. Um, you know, especially when it comes to stopping them on offense, that Syracuse quarterback situation just couldn't be worse. Uh, so give me BC minus 13 and a half for excuse. And my random pick of the week, uh, geez, I'm going to this big 10. Well, that has been uh, very dry for me, uh, but Michigan minus three and a half at Indiana, you know, Indiana had that, uh, really exciting win against Penn state, but if Indiana has taught us anything is, uh, they're not a team you should believe in. 
uh, for the for the long haul. So I'm gonna go Michigan minus three and a half. I I don't like Michigan. I just I, I don't know why they can't get over the hump as a program. Um, but they're not playing Michigan State and they're not playing Ohio State. So right. I'd like them to win. Yeah, that's certainly not a bad pick. Um, you know, my pick, I wanted to do something a little different, and then I saw that Boise State-BYU matchup that we've got coming on Friday night. Um, you know, always interesting when a team has to go play on the blue turf at night at Boise State. It feels like an upset for me that's brewing, even though Boise State, I think, is a top 25 team as well. Um, but BYU, again, being a top 10 team, one that maybe hasn't played the best teams all year, but Kalani Sataki's got them playing better than they've played in a long time at, at BYU. And, you know, there's just something magical about certain stadiums and, and Boise State on that blue turf at night. Really hard to turn down any sort of points that you're going to give me. Uh, so give me Boise State two and a half, plus two and a half, that is, against BYU. I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. Yeah, I hate the blue turf. I just hate it. Just wanted to get that on record. Uh, Tim, before we close out the show, any any final words? Yeah, no final words except, man, it's kind of neat to have the Mac and the Pac-12 back. We're starting to get to a point where college football season is starting to feel whole again. You know, I think I wasn't expecting it to feel so nice to have the Big Ten playing football again because as a conference, I'm not super fond of the Big Ten. They kind of irritate me in a way. Um, but I've really, really enjoyed watching some Big Ten football, which I never thought I would say in my life, but here we are. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of excited that we'll get to see the you know, the Pac-12 back at it, uh, get to see Autzen Stadium rocking with Oregon, maybe not rocking, but certainly vacant. Uh, at least they'll be playing football in it. And then obviously the Rust Belt darlings of the MAC are college football. You don't think college football without Miami of Ohio or the Rubber Bowl or the Glass Bowl or the Polish Cannon. So, you know, it's nice to have kind of those guys coming back. And uh, we're in for, you know, a full slate of games tonight on a Wednesday night. You know, never look a gift horse in the mouth, Justin. No, you got to love the Wednesday night match. And I'm excited for Pac-12 after dark. You know, it's been kind of sad that there's not a late college football game to watch when it's like Oregon State against Arizona. You know, two teams I know nothing about, if I'm being 100% honest, but I'll watch it. You know, it's a football game. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, that's our show for today. Uh, thanks for listening. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokie sports. Uh, there's only really one thing we ask from you, and uh, Tim's going to tell you all about it. Yeah, just tell everybody about the show. Keep leaving us those five-star reviews. We really appreciate, you know, hearing from you guys. So, again, you know, getting to run the Twitter this past week, it, it was awesome to see how much interaction we get on a weekly basis, and that'll never uh, not blow my mind. So, yeah, continue to do that. It makes us happy and, you know, makes us feel good, you know, putting out this content for you guys to know that you're listening and interacting is always a good thing. But, again, can't stress it enough. Five-star reviews, whether that be on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Tune in radio wherever you may find us. I'm just throwing out names where I'm not sure we even exist. But hey, we exist. If we don't exist on a platform, and you, yeah, we, and if we don't, tell us, and we'll put something on. Uh, but other than that, just keep being you. Keep rocking on, watching college football, interacting with us. Uh, we like hearing from you guys, and and we look forward to creating more of these episodes for you. Yeah, and if you have something negative to say, say it in our DMs. That's all we ask. Yeah, you know, not not on the ratings. Leave say a, it to our leave face. a five star review. And then say something negative to us on Twitter. I would love that. But I just want that five-star review. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's edgy. Yeah. That's super edgy. I like that. Definitely leave the ironic five-star review and then blast us in our DM. That's the way to go. That's all we ask. That's all we ask, just to be blasted. We're simple men. That's it. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Uh, 
go Hokies flames out and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Go get some of that Maction.